Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. The season is over and thanks sweet baby Jesus Christ for that. I uh, don't know about you guys but I'm glad it is done and it, for a period there this, it felt like this thing was never going to end but it finally did and now it's time to go back over the entire season and digest it all and Jason Pat is on the other line. He's here to help me digest this weird, weird old season. So Jason, what the hell do we make of this season, man? And I, I'm honestly not too sure. I, you talked about how like just happy that it's over. I, I feel the same way. I the, like the second half of the season. I just was not into it at all. I, to be honest, I did not watch that many games very closely. I followed along, Bulls fan that I am. Curious, to see what they were doing kind of got into the tank race. But in terms of like watch sitting down and watching every game, I just really couldn't do it. I I was watching other games because I mean there's there was just really little point towards the end of the season when they were talking about whatever the player development and all that yada 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 but it was most most of the second half of the year was bums blowouts and the occasional like son kilpatrick uh explosion i guess at the end of the year but i guess overall if we're looking at the entirety of the season they they won, won 27 games which is i think it was a, from what i remember at the beginning of the year i was thinking about 24 25 wins i actually made a bet with a friend and we set the over under at twenty six and a half, so I won that bet by ha- by whatever the exact win that I needed. So they they were obviously a little better ex- than expected, which might, if you were a big fan of the tank, maybe not the uh, the best thing you were hoping for there. Obviously, one of the reasons why they were a little better expected, there were a few good reasons there. Lowry Markkinen, their draft pick, was terrific. He's got a bright future. We'll obviously, we'll sure we'll talk a lot more about him later. Uh, Chris Stone was a little better than expected, still not that great. And then Nico obviously had his big run, and he ended up getting the Bulls a first-round draft pick. So even though while the tank was kind of ruined by Nico, he also did get the Bulls a first-round draft pick, even though the pick might not be that good because the Pelicans went on a huge run at the end of the year. Thanks to beardless Nico, who went yeah. crazy. It was putting up like boogie <laughs> numbers at, by the end of the season without yeah. his damn beard. But overall, like it was a frustrating year. It was tough to watch a lot of games. There are some positives. There are some negatives. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm definitely glad it's over. I'm looking forward to the offseason, looking forward to the draft happening. So, uh, I mean, what, what, what were your big takeaways of the year? Well, in, in sort of getting pre- uh, prepared for this podcast, I was sort of just thinking about all the, the major storylines of this season. And I don't know about you, but personally, I sort of forgot about the whole Portis Miritich incident that I guess kicked <laughs> yeah. off this season or punched off this season, if you want to put it that way. But I totally forgot about it because like you sort of alluded to there, towards the back end of the year, it was tough to watch this team. And you, you know, you said you weren't watching a ton and I, I'm pretty annoyed at myself that I didn't discover or realize the ability to watch like sort of split screen on League Pass <laughs> where I could keep an eye on the Bulls whilst watching other games. I only figured that out in the last week of the season, so that was kind of annoying on my behalf. But like, there was so much that I'd forgotten because I just sort of got into the the malaise of this terrible ending towards the season. But let's let's go right back to the start with this whole Porus and Miritich incident. Let's just talk about that. And, and still, I can't get over how ridiculous that incident was, and not just the incident in itself, but the fact that the team was able to still gel from that moment and quote-unquote, build a culture despite that happening. I mean, that's how this season started. And I, I think we almost forget about that. It's it's kind of nuts. Yeah, it was, it was goofy as hell. And, uh, I mean, I guess you do have to give Fred some credit. John Paxson did mention it today in his end-of-season broadcast how they talked about getting the team building that quote-unquote culture during last summer. And, uh, I mean, they, they did seem to get over it pretty well. I mean, the situation, like you mentioned, it was weird. 
weird as hell because there was the whole they weren't really talking to each other. And but then they when they when Nico came back, he was great. Him and Portis were like a dynamic duo together. The Bulls went on their big run and they just kind of got over it. It it was definitely I mean it was the first it was kind of almost like ominous for the rest of the season that this that the weird crap starts to feel like that and then the rest of the year was just kind of followed suit with weirdness. So I guess like you said, give the coaching staff some credit and I guess the teams are credited for getting over getting past it. And playing well after that three and twenty start, once Nico did come back, and him and him and Portis doing really well together on the court. But yeah, I mean that was it was it just so bulls. Like you're getting ready for this, getting ready for this whatever season. We knew it was going to be bad. We knew there were going to be a lot of losses, and then you get goofy stuff with punching and breaking faces. I mean that's just it's unreal, really. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. And the the other thing I sort of reflected on was. I guess the different iterations or different identities of the, of this team over the season. So you sort of alluded to it there, but at the start of the season, I think they were three and twenty at one point before Miritich came back, and that was obviously one aspect of the team or one identity of the team. And things were looking terribly bad. They were pretty much the worst team in the league. But then Miritich comes back, as you sort of alluded to. Him and Portis become this dynamic duo. Dunn comes back at that point as well, and the team starts winning. An obscene amount of games, considering they were meant to be tanking. I'm pretty sure they were 14 and 11 during Miritich's uh, 25 games here as a bull. So they were pretty much a playoff team whilst he was here. But then they moved away from that team, I guess. They traded Nico, and then I guess Levine came into the fold, and then it became about developing Dunn and Levine and Marketing and that core three moving forward, and that became the next phase of the season. So, and then I guess once that that concluded, and the tank needed to be needed to be addressed. Then all of a sudden, Dunn and Levine disappeared. Markkinen played here and there. And all of a sudden, about it became about the draft pick and playing bums and just making the last 25 games pretty hard to watch. So it almost depends on what phase or what aspect of the season you want to talk about to really, I guess, judge or grade this season. Because it was almost like a, a four-part movie, I guess, because there was just just different elements to this entire season, all season long. Yeah, and that's why it's just kind of tough, tough to judge when we're like talking about moving forward and like what we're going to expect from the team next year because like, Nico was such a big part of why they were they did have that stretch. Obviously, like Lowry was great, Dunn had those flashes, Levine had, was I guess okay. He had a few. Obviously, he basically won the Minnesota game almost by himself. Besides that, it was not so good. But so it's and when they when those three did play together it was horrible they had something like a minus 21 net rating obviously the sample size is small but they did not play well together especially when the games where they played again besides basically the Timberwolves game where they played quality competition they just were not good together they, they won some games together but they won a lot of those games against tanking teams in the second half of the year because it's like basically that second half of the year the Bulls would play a good team and they'd just get their ass beat and then they'd play whatever the Mavericks or the Hawks or the Grizzlies and they'd win those games so it was just kind of like you really it's it's almost kind of hard to figure out just like how good these guys really are like how optimistic should we be about about their future because they still if they're going to be like obviously they're going to talk a big game I saw some headlines today with Levine talking about how they're going to make they think they're going to make the playoffs next year but like they have to replace Nico's production like Levine and Dunn have to be a lot more consistent they those three guys have to get better playing together because they were not good they have to get a lot better defensively there's still a lot these guys still have to prove it was obviously when they went through that stretch and they were hot and some people thought, Oh, maybe this team's actually could be really good really quickly. And some people might think that oh, they could make the playoffs next year, but there's just still so much that has to go right for them the next few years. And even this year, they were something I said to somebody else the other day was that they were almost unlucky 
to be as lucky as they were because obviously we wanted a lot of losses, but they were also lucky in a lot of close games. Because I think look, I, I like looking at the clutch stats a lot during the season, and them and the Kings both played a ton of close games, and they both won like over half of their close games that they won. Just so, just like I don't know if that's a good thing that they got kind of lucky in those close games because a bad team, bad young team, shouldn't win that many close games. But they did. So is that good for the future? Is that a good sign? Or is it just, since Nico was there for a bunch of times, does that mean they're going to have a huge, that's gonna, that luck's going to flip on them next year and they're just going to end up being really bad again? Like, I honestly have no idea. And obviously winning all those close games costs them possibly a top 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 three draft pick. So it's like, it is just such a weird like dynamic what happened with this whole season with some of, with all those close wins and with, like you said, all these different iterations of the team. It's, like, it's just almost hard to judge what exactly happened. Yeah, definitely. And, and what makes this season hard to judge as well, and I, I sort of mentioned this on the last podcast I did a few weeks ago, but over the last maybe month of the season when this team effectively gave up and was actively trying to lose, it's, it's kind of hard to judge how good the certain players were because if most of the teams that they were playing, or, or not maybe not most, but some of the teams they were playing against were running absolute junk lineups to the point where it makes it really hard to evaluate these sorts of players. So like Bobby Portis obviously had a strong season. It was good throughout the entire season. But I mean, how do I weight that going forward given that, you know, there was eight, nine, ten teams tanking towards the end of the year. Same thing with Denzel Valentine and, you know, Antonio Blakeney and these sorts of guys, even Sean Kilpatrick. Like, is that someone who we can expect to be a nice bench piece next season? Or was he just ripping on bums at the end of the season because most teams were tanking? So it's kind of hard to evaluate the Bulls generally over the course of the season for a, for a lot of a lot of these factors. The Miritich factor earlier in the season, we spoke about Don Levine and Markden and the, and the fact that they really couldn't have, a, I guess, a, a cohesive uh, trio together with those guys, which is probably the biggest disappointment thus far on this season. And, and it's definitely, I guess, the biggest open question heading into next season. And I guess what makes that difficult is the fact that Levine's contract sort of needs to be determined. So I guess my question to you is how much we should wait the, you mentioned it before, the 21.5 net rating or the negative 21.5 net rating that that trio has. How much should we wait that going forward next season? Yeah, that was certainly a disappointment. I did not think that they'd be that bad together. Like I also mentioned, like small sample size. Levine coming off an ACL. Like I think Levine will. I first of all, straight up, I think the Bulls are bringing back Liz, Levine at basically any price point. Like it's going to be really interesting to see what that price point is. I hope it's not that much. There won't be that many teams with cap space. I would hope maybe maybe. 15 to 17 million. I know some people have said they think, oh, he's definitely getting 20 plus million. Maybe someone will max him. I don't know why anybody would do that, but all it takes is one team. The market is tight. Paxton talked about today how they're going to kind of let the market, whatever, play, set itself, play out, and that they'll let let uh, Levine explore his opportunities. So hopefully they can get him at a reasonable price. I basically think they're going to keep him no matter what. You don't trade Jimmy Butler and then basically the centerpiece that you hyped up to get back and then to let him walk after one season, especially after an ACL. Uh, he's he's going to have to be a lot better. Paxson said that today. Like they, he said point blank, Zach Levine needs to be a better basketball player. They, they like they like him. They value him. But he's got to be a lot better. And obviously we saw that this year. It's not fair to completely judge a guy coming off that injury 
it, any player comes back from that injury, it's going to take time. But so, so there was still some troubling stuff that it, what, what we had seen from him before. His defense is absolutely horrible. And if you look at his on-court net rating just in general, the defense was a complete, complete shit show with him on the court. His offense, he can sometimes get in being in the habit of a chucker. You worry about the, this was also talked about Paxson, the pecking order, the dynamic with those three, like, Will it be a Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, your turn, my turn type thing at guard? Will that will that kind of freeze Laurie out when you Laurie out when you want him to maybe be getting most of the shots out of those guys? It will be interesting to see how they figure that out and how they make sure those, that those guards can keep getting Lowry the ball in the spots that they want him to get. Because I mean that for right now those three are your three. Obviously they're going to add to the team with another draft pick or two this year and then. Between their decent draft pick next year, if they don't take a big step forward and they end up in the lottery again, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic does play out. And I think I think that's something that'll be the biggest thing to watch for next year. I'm not going to say I'm completely like I don't, I'm not going to say that they're screwed like because they played so bad this year. I'm honestly going to give them a lot more time. They deserve a lot more time together. They're still Lowry's what 2021. Levine is still what 2022, 23. Dunn is a little bit on the older side. So I'm a little more skeptical of him, even though he showed some nice things. But that's definitely going to be probably the biggest thing to watch for next year. Yeah, definitely. So Donald turned 25, I think, next March. So that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all knew he was an older rookie coming in. And it hasn't really been too much of a talking point. I know once he was traded to the Bulls, I know those who were negative about the trade brought up that point. But throughout the season, I think, you know, we were even, was it Stacey King sort of pretty much mentioning that this is effectively Dunn's rookie year. So Everyone still treats him as a, a 19, 20-year-old guy, but he's much older. So the the progression of Dunn is going to be definitely a big talking point next season in his third year. But I, I think that's probably the most disappointing thing with, with or for Levine to me was the fact that he came out gunning so hard. And I guess that's because of his contract situation. And again, it makes, you know, that variable makes it hard to judge how this three-man unit really will prosper together, if, if at all, going forward. You know, obviously he was coming back from the ACL, which was a big issue. But the fact that he was out there trying to earn some earn some cash as well, and just coming in and gunning pretty hard straight from the get go, and it seemed like the Bulls allowed him to do that. So it's not necessarily just yeah. on Levine, but it would have been interesting to see how that three man unit would have gone if, okay, Levine still looks rusty, but maybe if he settled into that second or third option until he really got himself going. Um, be it this season or next season. So that was probably the most disapp- disappointing thing from Levine, I guess, from my perspective. But it's kind of funny with Levine. Like, it seems like half the fan base is totally in on this guy. They still have faith that he can be a really good player. Whilst, you know, a, a lot of the... Uh, there's a big, large faction of, of fans as well that, that are kind of out on Levine to the point where they'd be happy to see him, see him walk basically... Maybe not for any amount, but for an amount that's you know north of fifteen million, a lot of fans would probably be happy to see Levine go. I'm not sure if I'm at that point, but um, I am a little bit worried about this three-man unit going forward, and, and that's probably what I want what I wanted to see most out of this season. But like I said, it's a big open question moving forward. But what I want to talk to talk to you now is um, about this season itself and looking at it holistically and maybe grading the season on on a scale of sorts and. I've got two questions for you, but uh, the, the first one is around, I guess, judging the success of this season. Now, I guess that's, um, it's not a universal measure, I guess. It depends on the person, but uh, would you consider this season a success? Um, I would not say it's a success, but I, 
I also would not call it a failure. The fact they, I think the fact that Lowry looks really good makes it makes it not a failure. I think it would have been better if they did lose a few more games and got. I mean, I guess some of this also does kind of depend on the lottery. I guess if they still end up getting, a t- if they get lucky in the lottery and they get a top pick to go along with Lowry, I think I could say that it is pretty close to success. Uh, and the fact that they got a first another first first rounder for Nico, like I think that's a pretty good thing. So like while I'm generally often cynical and pessimistic about the Bulls, like I can't go as far as saying like it is a it was definitely a success because I think like we met, we mentioned the Levine thing was disappointing and some of these other guys there's there's there was still a lot of ugly there was still a lot of awful losses which we were kind of expecting but then there was it almost wasn't quite bad enough so I guess if they end up getting lucky anyways and they end up getting that topic they were gunning for that I guess maybe it would turn out a lot better that they that they get that pick and they have a guy in Lowry that they can really rely on or it looks like that they'll be able to re- rely on Paxson called him a foundational piece in his presser so I guess I guess if that happens then I guess you could kind of call it a success I don't know it's, it's still tough to call a season a success when there's so many so much ugly and so many bad losses and a lot of times where they just look really completely craptastic on the court so I will at least say it was not a failure because there were some positives there that to take out of the season yeah, I, th- I think you're right, generally. Uh, and it almost depends on what aspect of the season you're talking about. So if you're talking about player development, I think you can consider this season a success. Like you mentioned marketing and the fact Paxson pretty much claimed that he's a, found- a foundational piece. I think that's a fair comment from Paxson. Markkinen obviously exceeded expectations for most people. I'm not sure if anyone thought he was going to come out and average 15.7 rebounds shoot so well from the three-point line and, and just look athletically like a player we didn't necessarily expect. So, you know, Markman just being that piece is huge for this franchise moving forward. But even the lesser guys like Valentine and Portis and, and even David Waba, like they developed yeah. pretty well. So if you're looking at player development specifically, I think you can consider this season a success. And even Fred Hoiberg, I think he improved as a coach this season. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about you, but the only complaints that I had about Hoiberg this season was the fact that he was actually trying to win games when I wanted him to lose games. So, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. Um, you know, I'm assuming the management weren't or were aligned with what Hoiberg was doing, but by and large, I thought he had done a good job this season. But I, so when you consider the development of players and coaches, it's been a success. But I guess where we start to head towards that failure range, as you're sort of alluding to, is the whole point of the draft pick and I don't know about you but a top six to seven pick was not what I was hoping for um, but like you said the lottery is still to be played maybe they can jump into that top three or so or top five and maybe it makes how we see this season a little bit differently yeah and you mentioned Hoiberg and uh, Paxson I mentioned this kind of briefly earlier but yeah Paxson was basically raving out of Hoiberg obviously he'll be back he will not he will not be joining the unemployment line with Jeff Hornacek and Frank Vogel like they just got canned. And I think it's fair to say that Fred showed some improvement. Obviously, a big one of the big factors was, as was alluded to, when they made the Jimmy trade and they dumped the other guys, is that they wanted to get a team, a younger team, younger and more athletic. Jackson, I think, said, actually said that specifically yeah. again. Uh, just to have a team that could run his system a little better, push with pace a little more, shoot more three-pointers. Uh, and obviously, they seemed a little more comfortable at times doing that. Obviously, with the personnel that they had, they still lack the high level talent to run it at a high level all the time they had games where they hit a bunch of threes i thought chris dunn did do a pretty nice job pushing pace 
even Cameron Payne looked a little better pushing the pace. He's at, he was obviously the bar was very low with campaign and he also got a shout out from Paxton today. seems like the bulls are pretty happy with Chris Dunn and campaign as their point guard duo next year. We'll see how that goes. I'm still not sold on Payne, but at least, but at least positively he looked basically campaign looked like one of the worst players in the league last year, if not the worst. And this year he at least looked like a competent player, like a replacement level player. I got, he certainly was not good, but he was not a disaster like last year. So I guess that's that is a positive that is development there. And so yeah, with Hoiberg, it seems like he did a decent job. Like I said, they praised the culture a lot, what they built. We'll see. We'll see. We still have to see him how him coaching a team that's actually really good is what we've seen. He, teams have either been mediocre or bad, but he definitely has made strides. He doesn't seem as he's at least learned on the job a bit. He has, doesn't seem as quite as inept as before so that's that at least is a, a positive to take out of this year as well yeah yeah most certainly and uh, like one of the questions i have been asking a lot of bulls fans online is, is is if they consider this season a success but the other question i've been asking is can we i guess consider this season or has this season met your expectations so they're two different questions and i guess it more gets to the the failure aspects or maybe failure is too strong a words but the things that maybe didn't necessarily go too well so and i like asking that question because it's different to it's a different way of measuring success i guess and again it's not a universal measure but to you did this did this season meet your expectations ah oh, that actually is kind of tough to say like they lost a lot of games in terrible fashion which is what i was expecting i guess and they won kind of around the same games, the amount of games that I thought they'd win. They lost a lot of ugly games. I guess just the fact that they they did go on that winning streak, like even like I never expected that. So I think I guess in that they exceeded my expectations in that matter. That they actually did look more competent at times than I figured they would. And the fact that they got a first round pick for Nico, that that was a big plus to me. That exceeded my expectations. So I guess I I kind of I kind of guess so I guess in ter- in general they just kind of they kind they exceeded them slightly because like I said I figured they'd be bad I picked them to finish last in the East so they kind of exceeded my expectations that guard in that regard and how and how good they were so I I guess they kind of ex- exceeded them even though they did lose a ton of games and their net rating was still like second or third worst or something like that yeah yeah it it, it really again it depends on what aspect of the season you're yeah. talking about but. To me, I still struggle. Like when I think about that question myself, I, I I struggle to get past the whole draft pick thing. And and like we've already said, maybe maybe it all solves itself if they move up in the lottery. But if we're talking about expectations, and particularly after trading Jimmy Butler, I was hopeful of a top three to five pick this season, and they were very close to getting that. And and after twenty three games this season, it looked like they were dead on going to get that. So for maybe a third of this season. The way it was going, they were meeting my expectations in terms yeah. of that draft pick, and and this this you know this season was about developing players and how they position themselves from a draft perspective, and I, I guess from that point of view, in terms of the pick itself, obviously they've tied here with Sacramento for six, and they've got a, a legitimate chance of moving up into maybe the top five, hopefully the top three, but maybe in the top five, but. So I guess in that sense, there's still time for this season to meet my expectations. But the way it sort of played out in the back end of the season, I was kind of disappointed. So I don't know how I feel about that question just yet still. And it's probably going to come down to the lottery, which is still a few weeks away. 
Yeah, it's, that's totally fair. It's it's a tough question to answer. Like you said, it's kind of depending on how you look at it. Like they exceeded the expectations in terms of them pl- being a little better than you thought. But then since you were expecting the high draft pick, they by exceeding expectations, they kind of screwed your expectations as well because you were hoping for the higher pick. It definitely, it, it's definitely just the kind of like the conundrum of the whole tanking thing. It's like if your if your expectation and your hope is to get as bad a pick as possible, but then they're slightly a little better then you figured, which maybe that could end up being better in the future because your young guys are better, but then that might hurt you in terms of adding another key piece. Like it, it's, it's why rebuilding is tough. Like, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no definite easy way to do it. We see a lot of teams try to do it. Obviously, the Sixers and the whole process looks great right now, and they, they're awesome. They're a ton of fun. But like, we also see a bunch of teams who have been awful for years. The Magic, who just fired their coach, have been a complete joke for like since Dwight Howard left. The Kings have been rebuilding in perpetuity for like 10 years. So like rebuilding is not an easy thing. So the, there definitely has to be a bit of luck here. And said so hopefully, hopefully they do get lucky in the lottery. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But l- let's talk about these things that, you know, in terms of the expectations and the difficulty of rebuilding and all these sorts of things. Let's talk about maybe what could have been done differently to either develop players more or shore up the tank, depending on what the topic is. But l- let's let's talk about what could have been done a little bit differently and. We've spoken about Miritich in terms of his play and the fact that they obviously traded him for a first-round pick, which was pretty good on paper. But in terms of that scenario or that situation itself, what could have been done differently um, from your perspective in terms of Miritich himself? Do you, do you think he should have been brought back at all? And, and you know, it is a, it's a pretty legitimate question. If they don't bring him back, how are they positioned right now uh, for, for tanking purposes or draft pick purposes? Uh, I honestly was fine with bringing him back because I guess I never ex- expected him to do what he did. I guess that I have been expecting it for years, and then the year I got off the train, it was like whatever. Bringing him back is fine. He won't be that good. I guess he'll try to get his points on a rebuilding team. Maybe he'll build that trade value. So I guess what kind of happened was I guess what I kind of was hoping was going to happen once they resigned him, but I, he was too good yeah. because just like I he whatever is. I'd have to look at his numbers again, but he, what is it, like something like 16, 17 points a game and like 20, they didn't even play him that much. I think he played like 25, 26 minutes a game with the Bulls off the bench. Yeah. But his true shooting percentage was crazy, like in the mid 60s or something like that. And just, he shot like 43, 44% from three. And just like every game, like he was obviously during that winning streak, like every game, it seemed like down the stretch, he was hitting big shots in the fourth quarter or keeping the team in games when it looked like maybe things would start to get away from them. So I guess if you're looking for maybe something they could have done a little different is, I mean, maybe Hoiberg could have benched Nico down the stretch more of games. Like, I mean, it's it's tough to do that as a coach because you're obviously, as a coach, you get in the competitive spirit, you want to win games. And obviously at the end of the year, they completely threw that away. But like when they had that streak going and when Nico was playing well, like it's it's tough to bench a guy when he's doing that. But I guess if you want to look at something different, I was fine with them re-signing him. But some of those games later, maybe you just don't play Nico. Maybe you play one of the other guys or give Felicio more minutes or something like that but I mean Nico basically probably won them an extra three I would guess three or four games yeah I think you're right there Uh, you know without going into the whole advanced analytics and those sorts of things and you know trying to calculate exactly how much he was worth from a winning perspective he's you know the games he played he was their best player by far I think that's pretty hard to debate against but I, I think it's an interesting point like just just generally thinking you know should they have brought him back or should they not have? Obviously, they did bring him back and he played so well to the point where they were able to get a first-round pick for him. Now, given that they are, the Pelicans played much better than I think 
or at least what I was expecting after they traded for him. It's it, it kind of I guess limits the 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 output or, or the of or the ceiling of that pick I guess so maybe that trade doesn't look as good as it once did. Hope we were hoping for the Pelicans to sort of slide out of the playoffs, but you know that last five games as you mentioned, Miritich without the beard, he was awesome and he almost screwed the Bulls draft pick on on two occasions this season. But yeah, it's kind of hard. Like, do, do you do you not re-sign him and lose a good player and a guy that you can get a first round pick for? Do you let it go for nothing, or do you bring him back and then you know? play that risk game of him being too good and and costing you wins so I don't know what the right answer is for that particular situation I think both I I think there's good arguments for both sides and me being a Miritich fan I was happy for the Bulls to bring him back to re-sign him and not let him go for nothing and getting a draft pick for him but at the same time if I have that view I sort of have to accept as well that he was kind of responsible for three or four wins there, which you know could be the difference between pick one or pick two and pick five or six, which is where the Bulls currently sit now. So it's kind of hard, that situation itself. But another another scenario or another thing that I think that could have been done a little bit differently as well is just the general tanking approach. And I guess it links into the whole point of bringing Miritich back or not. But what do you think, at least from a tanking point of view, could have been done differently to maybe shore up you know, the Bulls being in uh, pick six at the moment or tied for pick six to maybe being in that top three. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess there were a couple games that I remember where maybe maybe you play some of your worst players. More like, obviously, by the end of the year, as I mentioned, like, they were their fourth quarter lineups were basically, like, Sean Kilpatrick. And Ab- Sean Kilpatrick won them a freaking game because he scored 20 points in a fourth quarter. Like, I mean, there's really almost nothing you can do about that. There was the game in Memphis where they're – their closing lineup was like Felicio, Payne, Zipser, a couple other losers, and they freaking won because Tyreek Evans followed. Oh, Blakeney because Tyreek Evans followed Blakeney on a on a three point <laughs> shot. Like I mean, oh, those man. are two games. That's two games right there yeah. that are just like ridiculous wins. Like they did that, and there was like the mad. I think the Magic game as well that just happened. The Magic were absolutely atrocious, but they made the big comeback. The Magic were up like five or six points in the fourth quarter. The Bulls had a terrible lineup on the court in the fourth quarter, but the Magic fall apart and the Bulls scrubs went i mean towards the end of the year they did try to lose games they basically did all they could they benched Markin didn't play fourth quarters obviously levine and done route and there were a few games that they just won anyways there were a couple games earlier in the year i think like the map i went to the mavericks game that they won they had a big comeback in the fourth quarter portis was huge and i mean you could probably argue that maybe they shouldn't have played portis that much you could t- bench him play felicio that game was a game where levine Markin and done all played and they all hit big shots down the stretch so like I feel like you don't want to, when you're trying to develop your young core, like your main young core guys like that, those three, like I would not have benched those guys, but like you could say, okay, bench a Bobby Portis on the stretch, play a guy like Felicio. Is Felicio had one of the worst, maybe the worst net rating in the league. I think it was like minus 18 among like rotation players. So like maybe they could have done a better job of, about certain fourth quarter lineups. We saw a lot of the other bad teams would play some really terrible lineups and they would lose games, but and like I said, on the flip side, there were also games where the Bulls did try to lose, and they still ended up winning them. And and there's something when those games happen like that, you really can just kind of throw your hands up in the air and laugh a bit. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if if they're going to win some games, then you obviously can't manufacture a scenario where they lose every single game. You know, one night there might be a team that's off for whatever reason, and on that same night the Bulls 
just happen to get hot, make a whole bunch of threes, make hit, yeah, like the Wizards know. game. The Wizards game was like exactly the like Bulls beat them by like twenty. They hit like eighteen threes. The Wizards run a second of a back to back. Like, like you, that's a game you can accept winning because those games happen. Yeah, exactly, and it's against a decent team at least. So yeah. it's not necessarily going to hurt the tank from. Yeah, it will to a degree because you're obviously winning a game, but you're not necessarily winning against a, another bad team who you're giving a loss to. So from that perspective, it's like okay, I can accept this one random win. But I don't know. There was there was games earlier in well, not early in the season, but maybe twenty games ago. The game against the Mavericks, the game against the Hawks. To me, it sort of felt like the Bulls waited a little bit too long to get down to that level where other teams were already. You know, throwing out these bad lineups the way they're actually doing analytics to um, find their worst possible combinations, five man units that they could play at the death at the at the death of games to make sure that they lose. But it's, the Bulls were still sort of running Markin and Don Levine, maybe Felicio and I don't know whoever else was at at, at small forward, a Valentine or a Noaba type player. Yeah. So those sorts of scenarios, I was like, well, why can't you pull those guys out earlier instead of playing Don Levine, Markin? you know, 34 minutes, maybe play them 28. And I don't know, maybe that impacts the loss or, or impacts the results. But, you know, another thing is why sign Sean Kilpatrick? Like he was going to go to the Boston Celtics and the Bulls sort of swooped in there and brought in Sean Kilpatrick who won them the game against the Charlotte Hornets. Like why did that have to happen? I, I don't get yeah, that. Sign that really made no sense. I mean, Kilpatrick's what, journeyman, 28, 29. Like obviously the guy's playing for his life, but he said he was, he had a job or job lined up somewhere. I was like, I don't know. Did the Bulls pay him more money? Is that what happened? Is that why he signed with the Bulls? Right. Uh, like, were they just doing him a favor? Were they doing an agent a favor to give him a little more money? Like, I, because it really does make no sense. Like, and if you're going to use that spot on somebody, why not use it on a younger guy that you can bring, bring in? And maybe he will be a part of next year. I mean, I, I guess maybe Kilpatrick could be back next year, but like, it still doesn't make. He's a, still going to be like a 29, 30 year old journeyman guy, and he's really not a good player. He had a few great games, just like for whatever reason, I guess he had a few games like that early in his career where he kind of, the guy can score a bit, but he's inconsistent. And like the last couple of years, his numbers were absolutely atrocious. And then here he comes off the street and puts up 20 point quarters and wins the Bulls a game. So it's like, why did this, why did this happen? Yeah, exactly. And to me, the, the way I, th- I sort of th- thought of this, the, the Kilpatrick situation was he was the right player at the wrong time. And what I mean by that is obviously not a great player or even maybe even a good player, but he's obviously a guy that can come off your bench and contribute. And that's what he did for the Bulls. He averaged 15 and a half points, shot 40% from the three-point line. So those, you know, from a guy that you're coming off the bench that you want to score points, that he did exactly that. So he was the right player for them, but at the worst absolute, or the, you know, the complete wrong time. You don't want a guy coming off your bench who can help you score points. You, the whole objective of the last 10 games was to score as little as points as you possibly could. So I don't know, that, that, that whole situation didn't make a lot of sense to me. But even maybe going back to February, Justin Holiday, for whatever reason, was averaging 35 minutes a game in February for the Bulls. Like, why is that happening? They obviously had to go to you know some pretty extreme lengths where they were pretty much benching him and Lopez towards the back end of the season, you know, resting them for the younger guys. But instead of playing Holiday thirty five minutes a game in February, you know, how do certain results sort of weigh up against you know the total season itself? If instead of playing Holiday thirty five minutes, you're playing him twenty eight or something like that, like I don't know. There was a there was a stretch. It might have been in February. There was a stretch that were a holiday. I think it might have been right before the All-Star breaks. That would make sense. January, February. And that was, I think, around the time where the Bulls were looking a little better, where Holiday was playing really well. Like He, he was hitting a ton of threes, 
shoot and just on fire. And I think he definitely probably contributed to a few wins with some of that hot shooting. So that, that definitely is a decent point as well with him. And you mentioned that you mentioned though, we, we haven't really talked about that though, the, the whole thing with holiday and Lopez and how they went from being starters to then just being completely mothballed. And then the bulls got warned by the league, which is kind of hilarious. Cause obviously I, like I honestly didn't have a problem with the league doing that because like to have two guys that have been starting all year, your team, they talked about oh, these are important guys to our team or key veterans for us. To go from basically playing 30 minutes a game to literally just not dressing and not playing, I thought it was pretty absurd. I think the Bulls easily could have skirted those tank, whatever tanking rules. And they and by the after the warning, they did they did it right. They basically kind of alternated uh, benching. They one would play, the other would wouldn't play, and they'd kind of flip that up until the end of the year. Lopez just didn't play at all on Holiday, played the rest of the year. But it, that was still kind of another hilarious aspect of the season was the fact that the Bulls got warned for for uh, to the or breaking the rest rules. Yeah, and, and I guess what makes that even more confounding to me is the fact that they didn't trade them. And, and I understand that Paxson yeah. mentioned the fact that you know in order to trade them, other teams wanted to send bad contracts back to Chicago. And I could sort of buy that argument for someone like Robin Lopez, who still has a year left on his deal and you know around fourteen million dollars or so, but. Justin Holiday in January, he was averaging 35 minutes for the Bulls, shooting over 40% from the three-point line. He's only making $5 million next season and is in an expiring deal, so it's not too huge. I kind of don't buy the argument that no team would have taken back Justin Holiday without teams sending could have used back. him. A heap teams of teams. A lot of these playoff yeah, teams the, at the moment. Timberwolves. Like, War, the Warriors could use them. Like, there are tons, exactly. Any team can use a three and D-ish. I mean, he's not the greatest on D, but when he tries, he's not bad. And then guy that shoots high 30s, 40% from three. Like, obviously, obviously, Holiday is a limited player. We saw when he would try to shoot a lot of shots, would, especially at the beginning of the year when he was really chucking. That's not the role. But when he plays a more limited role... And he's just concentrating on shooting spot up threes. He's a really good player. They absolutely could have gotten probably a, a second rounder for him at least. Obviously, I doubt they would have gotten a first rounder, but I mean, I would take a second second round pick for Justin Holiday because I mean, what is he? Maybe he's back next year. Like, but in terms of like when the Bulls are actually good again, like I don't think he'll be around unless they do keep him around for the long term. Maybe he's still not that old. What is he like? Is he twenty nine, thirty, something like that? Yeah, I, I think he's twenty eight. But so they they absolutely could have gotten a second round pick for him because like there was a ton of teams could have used him, and it was kind of I I wasn't surprised that Lopez stayed because that like you said the contract's a little bigger a little tougher to unload without maybe taking some bad money back, but Holiday easy deal to get rid of and a lot of teams could have used him I really it that was kind of weird that they didn't that they, they didn't end up trading him. Yeah, and I mean, you know these little things. Maybe if they execute these things a little bit differently, maybe instead of 27 wins, maybe they have 25. And if that's the case, maybe the Bulls are, you know, fourth or fifth at the moment rather than sixth or tied for sixth. So, but I guess the, they're unknowns. We we can't necessarily yeah. say for, for, for certain that that's the way things would have been. But I guess just looking at it from my perspective, those are the sort of things that I wish maybe could have been done a little bit differently or maybe explored a little bit harder rather than, I won't say half-assing it, because I think the Bulls definitely did try pretty hard at the war, towards the end of the season to tank hard, but I just kind of wonder maybe in January or February if they had sort of been a little bit more proactive about it then, you know, how how maybe things might be in a little bit differently. But alas, it is what it is, and we're <laughs> hoping for a lot of luck at the moment. But um, look, we've talked about this season pretty much in depth, I think. I, I don't really want to talk too much more about this season. I'm trying to... 
I'm yeah, starting the process on. of uh, erasing it from my mind, but l- let's project forward now and start to thinking about the draft and free agency and what this team hopefully will be heading into 2018-19. So let's talk Chris Dunn first. We mentioned before that he's going to be a 25-year-old point guard coming into his third season. Paxson today obviously mentioned that you know Dunn really needs to work on his on his finishing inside and the fact that he will be the starting point guard going forward. What do you see from Dunn next season, and, and do you think it's a lock that he will be the starting point guard at the end of next season? Uh, I would guess he will be the starting point guard at the end of next season. I will not say it's a lock that he is for the well, that be 2019-20 season. I'm still kind of skeptical about Chris Dunn. He, first, I will establish right now that my expectations for him were just basically in the, the bottom of the barrel. Because when I watched him with the Timberwolves as rookie season, he was absolutely atrocious. Not impressed at all. He was he showed some nice things defensively, but as an offensive player, he just looked completely lost and not a good shooter, just not aggressive. It was it was really bad. So the fact that he did show legitimate improvement, he was the closer in a couple games, hit some big shots, and the fact that he appears to be a competent point guard, solid defensive potential, he's a defensive playmaker. The fact that he looks like at least, he looks like an NBA player. In fact, he's going to have to take, you mentioned the finishing thing, he was a bad finisher on the rim, which is disappointing considering he gets there a lot. He also doesn't draw fouls very well for someone who can get to the rim a lot. So that's something he's got to get better at. His shooting improved, but it still is super inconsistent. It, his jump shot just really looks, looks super awkward to me and not great. But so like, there's still so much that he can work on for him to be, I think, the quote-unquote point guard of the future. So... While it isn't, Paxson said, encouraging, I would agree that this year was encouraging for Chris Dunn, but there's still a ton of work for him to do for, for me to be, okay, this guy is the guy that is going to be the legitimate point guard of the future. He can be a consistent player because I talk about, mentioned consistency. Like there were so many games this year where he would have like a great game where he'd shoot like what, like seven of 11 or seven of 12 from the field and have seven or eight assists. And then the next game he'd go two of 13. Like he would have his, the swings in his, good play to his just awful play where it is so huge or I mean you can't have a point guard that's doing that all the time so they he needs to get a lot more consistent I mentioned the shooting finishing getting better uh drawing fouls there's still a ton and also his turnovers like he sometimes with his handle is so can be so sloppy where he'll just be driving the lane and he'll just completely lose the ball stuff like that so there's still a lot of room for improvement there and the fact that he is going to be 25 next year Obviously, it counts against him because you wonder, like, has he hit his ceiling? Like, how much higher will his ceiling go? So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if he how high he can get in the next year or two. Yeah, definitely. And look, maybe I'll frame it this way: I really like Chris Dunn. I like the player he is at the moment and and who he can be. I don't think he's going to be a, a high level talent, but I think he can still be a competent and effective and even a productive NBA player. But my main concern with Chris Dunn is maybe not even Dunn himself, but maybe the franchise's view of Chris Dunn. And what I'm alluding to is here is the fact that his presence on the roster may influence how the Bulls go into the draft coming up. And I kind of uh, I'm wondering what their approach will be at the draft because if the Bulls the Bulls do pick at six or seven uh, within that range, and, and Paxson alluded to that to, to it today that. You know, they're looking for an athletic wing who can sort of defend and shoot threes. And that makes complete sense. I understand why they would be looking for that player, given that there is a gaping hole at small forward on this team. But to me, what what I also read into that is the fact that the team isn't necessarily looking at any guards. And 
given that the Bulls may end up at seven, someone like Trey Young will be sitting there for the Bulls as well. And obviously, the hype around Young was pretty huge. It sort of simmered down towards the the back end of his college season there. But I would be kind of disappointed if the Bulls just completely overlook a point guard like Young because of Don's presence. How, how would you feel about that? Yeah, I, I've. I don't, the Trey Young thing, I honestly don't. It's like I feel like there's a big, I guess, big sw- or a value. I don't, I don't know. What I'm trying to say that. high risk, high reward. I guess type player with Trey Young because like especially with with the Bulls, like the idea of him like turning into like I'm not gonna say Steph Curry. Obviously, that was a big thing calling him the next Steph Curry. Even a Steph Curry light, like in Fred's system with the offense and shooting threes. Like the idea of him of him in that offense sounds great. I'm also very worried just about the Bulls, I guess, Bulls' long-term future in terms if they are building like a backcourt that has Trey Young and Zach Levine in it. And Lowry, while Lowry's not an awful defender, he's still not very good. I'm still kind of worried about how they do build a good defense. So if they drafted a guy like Trey Young, I'm honestly not totally sure. Like, I, if he, if the Bulls get whatever the seventh pick and he's there and they drafted him, I wouldn't be upset or anything because the fact that the potential that is there could be a lot of fun. I just would have my questions about how they would build, I guess, a, an elite or not even elite, but just like a decent defense around that group, especially with like Levine coming back. Uh, in terms, of, I guess Paxson did kind of say after he mentioned the wing thing that while they would like a wing that they can't overlook talent. So hopefully if they have a guy that they like, that they think is the best player available there, that they don't draft for the specific need. And that there's, if there's a, if there's a guy that they really love, they really love Trey young, whatever screw Chris Dunn. I guess Trey young is a guy who could come off the bench next year and be your six man microwave type. And then maybe one of them separates themselves over the next couple of years. And then they turn the point guard of the future. I'd, they definitely should not, the Bulls are not at a point where they can be we we they can pass over a talent if they think that guy's better than everybody else. Yeah, I certainly in agree, I certainly in agreement there. And so so you know I'm not necessarily convinced Trey Young is the guy I want the Bulls to draft, but I at the same time I don't want the Bulls to be avoiding certain players in the yeah, draft totally because agree. you know the existence of Chris Dunn or Zach Levine or or maybe even Larry Markham. You know, obviously you know Paxson mentioned Larry is a foundational piece, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's set in stone, but I'm more confident about Larry than Dunn, for example. But yeah, I don't absolutely. know. I'm just kind of kind of worried based on you know Dunn has been locked into that starting point guard role, and the fact that even though Paxson alluded to potentially drafting the highest talent available, I am a bit a little bit scared that they might go for fit here. And I guess it builds into my next question, which is around the whole free agency period, which will obviously happen after July 1. And Paxson did allude to today that they won't necessarily be chasing any veterans or experienced guys, a ton of those sorts of things, or or trying to rebuild rebuild or retool this roster through free agency. But I kind of am not convinced about that, given that they'll have so much room in free agency to do something. Do you buy what he said about that? Do you think that they will sort of going to free agency pretty cool and not necessarily reach on too much? Or do you think they'll do a typical Bulls thing where, you know, every three to four years they do use that free agency period to really re-up that roster? I'm not that worried about them going out and making like a really stupid like veteran sign. I mean, obviously like in terms of like the best, best guys, like obviously the best free agents aren't coming to the Bulls. Like I do wonder 
if maybe they'll go after somebody in restricted free agency, I, I'd hope they do not go after Jabari Parker. I think that'd be silly. I don't think that would make much sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're looking at other restricted free agents, like Aaron Gordon could be interesting. Clint Capella, I would assume the Rockets are going to keep him no matter what. Uh, I can't remember what other restricted free agents are out there, but I, I'm not too worried about them doing something incredibly stupid. If they are, like, if they are going to use any of their cap space, it should be, I think, for a younger restricted free agent like that. Maybe take a run at a guy if they, whatever the contract is matched, whatever it doesn't hurt, really hurt anything. And if nothing, if they can't get anything there, that they can maybe just sign maybe a few cheap veterans. And they, I mean, they don't, and they could always use the cap space to take on another, maybe another contract and get another get another asset. I know they talked about they don't want to really take on any more bad money since they have the sheet deal already on the books. But that sheet contract is going to be up, I think, pretty soon. That last year of his deals. I think only three million guaranteed, so they should be willing. If they're not going to use it to sign players, they should be using the will to take on a contract to get more assets because they're still in the building phase and getting more assets in that building phase is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like, sort of as you allude to, I'm not necessarily expecting them to make a splash, but at the same time, I would be very surprised if they don't sign sign like a Justin Holiday equivalent or yeah. a Robin Lopez equivalent, where you bring in one or two veterans who can help. You know the whole culture piece, which is obviously very important to, to management at the moment. Somebody that I saw, I think it was Mort Jensen, tweeted about, I think he wants the Bulls to go after Mario Hazonia, which would be kind of interesting. He's obviously Orlando's kind of just like a life sucker for any talent. Because we've seen, <laughs> I mean, we saw Victor Oladipo is obviously broken out in Indiana after a few just okay years there in OKC. Hazonia started to look all right. I think he's pretty sure he's like a terrible defender, but he's still super young. Maybe if they, and I think they declined his option. I mean, maybe if you take a flyer on somebody like that on a short-term deal, it could be kind of interesting. I would definitely trend. I would, I would assume they will look to sign another, at least one or two other veteran types. But I would hope that I kind of do hope they take a chance if they can take a chance on a, maybe a disappointing younger player to maybe he just needs a change of scenery, something like that. I think that'd be a decent. Yeah, I mean uh, that's an interesting idea. I'm definitely all over those second draft type players where they didn't necessarily. Uh, make it with their first team but you can sort of get in there and, and swoop up and, and maybe you know like a bit of a culture change can make that player effective but I, I don't know if his own here is my guy yeah. particularly with Levine I don't know I don't Valentine. know either <laughs> I mean that 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 particular wing rotation would be uh you know full of headaches for me at least but um <laughs> I like the idea but uh look it's it's an interesting I I do wonder what they're going to do with their their free agency dollars and Another thing that maybe sways me against the the thinking of maybe they do sign guys is the fact that the roster, a lot of these guys are on guaranteed deals and there's not a lot of roster spaces at the moment. So they would really need to get rid of guys like Jerry and Grant, Paul Zipser, you know, these types of players, Noah Vonley, who is who are at the end of the bench to make room for a free agent or two to come in. So I'm kind of hopeful that they do what you exactly suggested, which is taking on a bad contract and getting another pick for next season. So that's what I'm hopeful of doing of them doing, but uh, we, we shall see what Paxson and the team do going forward. But I guess another question that I have here for you is: Let's assume that the Bulls stay where they are in the draft. You know, let's let's just call it seven. Uh, maybe the Kings get in front of them. Do you think two back-to-back number seven picks is enough to really remodel this franchise? Obviously, it depends on the player coming back in the, that you do select in the draft. But again, thinking about expectations and blowing up the team, two number seven picks are effectively going to be the two prize possessions that the Bulls have in this rebuild. 
Do you think that's enough to really set this course or this team on a course for getting back to contention anytime soon? That really is tough to say, just because, I mean, obviously the draft is a crapshoot. Obviously you want to have higher picks. Higher, pick, higher picks, you have the better chance of getting a superstar, but you can get stars from almost anywhere if you get lucky. Lowry does look a lot better than expected. I guess it could depend on just who they take. Because like we mentioned the way the packs we mentioned this earlier, how they want a wing who can shoot and can defend. And basically, when he was saying that, it was like the mind obviously naturally just went to Michael Burgess from Villanova. But Michael Burgess from Villanova, from what I've, when I watched a decent amount of Nova this year, especially as they went on the tournament, perhaps they won it all. He had a really really solid year took a big nice big leap he's a really good shooter he's long he can defend but you also worry about what kind of ceiling that kind of player has like he looks seems like he would be i feel like a very ballsy pick as a guy who was in college for whatever three four years a guy who just can do a lot of things really well and would be a safe pick and who could really help any team but you do wonder like is that the kind of guy that's going to elevate you as you're moving forward I don't really know about that because he, he, from what I also saw, he just doesn't dribble very well. He doesn't really create his own shot very well. He's a guy that would play off well off of others, which may, maybe that would be a good fit next to whatever. If Don and Levine take a big next step and they get a lot better and they, one of those guys can be a legitimate whatever, 1A, 2 option, whatever, and, La, and Lowry develops into a, into a true 1. But that would have basically a lot going right. So there's definitely a lot of question marks there. So if you don't go a guy like Michael Bridges, like do you go for a guy maybe with more upside like Michael Porter Jr.? I know I feel like I see a lot of Bulls fans on Twitter love Michael Porter Jr. They would really like draft him. I think he was at the Bulls game the other night wearing Bulls stuff. And like, but he also has the uh, the whole back thing. He barely played this year. I don't know if he's better as a three as a four. I don't know like if you add another unproven young ball dominant player how does that mess with Levine how does it mess with Dunn how does it mess with Lowry you just have to you have to wonder how all that how all that would fit together so it's definitely not as ideal that the Bulls if the Bulls end up at seven and they might end up getting a guy who's just oh who's who's a nice player who's good but maybe not a superstar type talent so I mean it just so much of this just almost just kind of comes down to luck like we can talk about this all we want but they almost just just kind of have to get lucky yeah definitely I, I think you're right you know, maybe a player falls down to seven and that player turns out to be like Larry Markkinen and, again, exceeds expectations like Markkinen did. That's what I'm hoping hoping for. But, I mean, they do need to get lucky in that sense because they're not getting a top three pick. And even if you have a top three pick, you still you need still luck on your lucky. side. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, you're, you're definitely right. But uh, it, it, I am still a little bit skeptical about, you know, coming away from, obviously, last season training Jimmy and then now heading into this draft the two number seven picks, typically on, on you know based on history at least, you know they're not high level picks. They'll, you know you have the ability to get good players from number seven, and Larry certainly looks like he's going to be a very good player. So maybe that happens again, but I don't know. I'm not necessarily confident about it, but maybe that's just generally my uh, pessimistic approach with all things <laughs> Bulls. But um, who knows? Maybe they get lucky. But the last question that I wanted to to ask you about this season and maybe you know heading in towards next season is which players do you actually feel good about on this roster right now heading in towards next season 
Uh, well, we can ignore Lowry marketing because I'm sure you're obviously going to be pretty glowing about Lowry as pretty much every single Bulls yep. fan is. So maybe let's just ignore the obvious there and focus on the remainder of the roster, guys like Levine, Dunn, Valentine, Portis, etc. Which of those guys do you really feel good about moving forward on the roster beyond next or beyond this offseason? I can't say I really feel great about any of them. Like I like some aspects of them. Like we've talked, obviously we've talked about Levine a lot and I, I think I think he'll be better next year assuming he is back his second year off the ACL and getting more comfortable again like he in his the, before he got traded before he tore his ACL he was having a, a nice year in Minnesota defense was still a problem but in terms of an offensive an efficient offensive player we cut we started to see that a bit more in his third season hopefully he gets back to that I think a lot of people have kind of way too big expectations for him like including some people in the media or are hyping up Levine as, oh, he can be like a James Harden light. Like, please slow your roll. <laughs> just, just stop yourself. Like, yeah. but so like in ter- terms of other guys, like Portis is an interesting character, but he legitimately did have a good year, but I just don't really like him. So like, I feel like that just colors my view of him. Like, I think yeah. Portis is a nice, I think Portis is a nice guy to have off your bench as like a six man, but there's also a quite like he's he'll be eligible for an extension this summer. I hope the Bulls don't give him one and they just give him another year. See how we can see how he develops further next year. Because I think what I think is he he's looking like he tops out as as like a six man score type off the bench because he's still not a good defender. He's still kind of goofy. Like he's kind of a bum slayer. So like he just seems like the perfect guy who plays 20, 25 minutes off the bench and can, and can score a lot and give you energy, which is a valuable player to have. But I don't know if, We'll see. Like, I don't want to pay that a lot of money. Like, if the Bulls were like, if he was like the missing piece, like off the bench, and the Bulls needed, like, yeah, that'd be great. But like, with the team still not that close to contending, in my opinion, I don't know what will happen with him. But I'm fine keeping him around next year. I think he's a solid bench guy. Denzel Valentine did legitimately improve. I know we we have talked about Valentine a lot. I like to like to uh, chide Valentine a bit because I think his self awareness is comically low because he thinks he's incredibly good when he's not he thinks he's should be a starter next year completely disagree he's another guy i think the bulls i guess just in the same vein of portis i think the bulls have the makings of a pretty nice bench just moving forward with between portis between valentine i hope they bring david david nwaba back he's solid wing defender brings a ton of energy he even improved his three-point shot a bit next year even though the or this year even though the volume wasn't very high i think those three guys make and if pain is okay like as a point guard like i think that's a decent bench there felicio is obviously a huge disappointment maybe he'll find it again next year he did start showing a little more at the end of the year maybe that'll carry over you have the makings of a decent bench there so like i guess some of those guys i feel a little better a little bit better about but it all comes back to the big question is do they have the guys that will become legit studs and i just don't know about that outside of lowry i'm still skeptical on levine and dunham in that regard yeah, definitely. And um, look, we talked about lottery luck and hopefully getting lucky in the draft. But at the same time, I think the Bulls need a bit of luck in terms of, you know, a Levine or a Dunn or maybe even someone that they draft this season turning into a, a really key piece because I don't think Larry's as good as he could be. I don't think he's going to be enough by himself. So yeah, I agree. we'll see what happens towards this off season. Now we've got plenty of time to think about it. Obviously, the playoffs is starting for, you know, 14 other or 16 other teams rather, but 14 other teams are sort of dwindling now thinking about the draft and obviously the Bulls are one of them. So we've got several months here to talk about the draft and I'll uh, I'll obviously have a few podcasts doing that. But uh, Jay, between that time, I appreciate you coming on, mate, and helping me 
digest this interesting season. I'll call it that. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure talking bowls, even when the season is a complete, mostly complete pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pile of crap, definitely, in, in some aspects. And uh, hopefully the draft, or at least the lottery on May 15, yeah. makes this season a little bit better. But yeah, thanks again, mate. Absolutely. Okay, so that pretty much brings us towards the end of this episode. Like I said, it was a tough season to really, I guess as fans, put ourselves through, but hopefully the the, the reward will be worth it. Hopefully the Bulls find themselves a nice player in this draft and can add to Lowry market and really build towards, uh, I guess, rebuilding a really nice contender here. That's the goal. Hopefully they can do that, but we shall see. And as we move closer towards the draft, I probably will be putting out a couple episodes around the draft itself, you know, who, you know, player profiles, who the Bulls should be drafting, who should they be thinking about with their pick, but also the Pelicans pick, these sorts of things. So I'll probably do a podcast around the lottery and, and how that shakes out as well as what players the Bulls should be heading or thinking about heading into the draft closer towards June. So be on the lookout for that. I probably won't be doing a weekly podcast given that there is pretty much still two months uh, between the draft and now, but every two to three weeks or so, I'll hit you guys up with a new show. But yeah, at the moment, there's not a ton to talk about, unfortunately, but I will be coming back to you guys with some draft stuff over the next few weeks. But, you know, thinking about this season holistically, I think it was my first season as well. From a Bulls HQ perspective, I think I started it towards the back end of last season, but this was my first full season as a Bulls podcast, or Bulls HQ was at least. So, uh, look, I appreciate everyone for listening in throughout the season, following the podcast, sharing it with people, you know, commenting on it, liking it, these sorts of things. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it all. It's very humbling when people do, I guess, listen to it. And, I, you know, it's still strange to me that people do that, given the fact that I'm just some random dude online that I guess has the audacity to actually get online and talk about the Bulls and it's nice knowing that there's people out there not only appreciating it, but at the same time, uh, you know, listening to it and conversing with me online about the Bulls, the beloved Bulls, as my friend CB Fred would say. So, look, I appreciate everyone for downloading the show, listening to it, and um, hopefully you've enjoyed this season and heading towards the draft. Hopefully you enjoy the shows that are to come. But like I said, appreciate everyone's support. And I'll be back in a few weeks' time with some draft pods, which hopefully should be a little bit more exciting than the regular season stuff. So until then, thank you for listening and I'll catch you all next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.